Welcome to episode 67 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast featuring conversations in Canadian theater with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you want to drop Stageworthy a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll consider leaving a comment or rating on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Comments really help people find the show. My guest, Victoria Velenosi, is a Toronto-based actor, as well as one half of the partnership that runs Brick and Mortar, home of the performance spaces The Attic, The Box, and The Commons. Before I get into, and I want to talk about, obviously I want to talk about brick and mortar and, and all of these. <clears throat> no, I, I think it's important, like, talking about, in, a, in, in this city, in Toronto, about performance space and, and the misconceptions about it and things like that. Super important. But before we start talking about that, I want to talk to you about um, theater and mm-hmm. what it was that drew you to theater and why, why you want to do it. Before we even talk about, mm-hmm. like... Uh, being a person who runs some spaces like for yeah. theater for you what was it about it that drew you to it or do you remember when you first became interested um, I don't remember when I first became interested in the idea of doing it but I do remember um, watching The Wizard of Oz at Theater Aquarius and I was like nine or so and um I was very, very shy, and I think I always kept that as a, a barrier to being able to do it. So mm. I don't even know how long how long back this went where I wanted to, but I was watching the show, and there were kids in it that were playing the munchkins that were in my school. Mm. And I remember thinking, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I could... Huh. So I remember like just like wheels turning in my head being like, okay, okay, well, if, you know, if they're able to do it, and I don't mm. really, you know, they're not all that great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I could probably do it. So um, I remember, I, I, don't, I don't exactly know how it happened, but I, I started doing um, Saturday classes and then summer classes at Theater Aquarius mm. and... Uh, learning all about that stuff there I think the I have always ha- I don't know where it came from what psychological thing happened to me in my childhood where I figured out that like I wanted to climb the highest mountain there was like I, I'm like I can do I, I'm going to do the hardest thing like, mm-hmm. I don't know why but I think that is probably a part of what drew me to theater and art and because it, it seemed really hard and difficult and, and confusing and grand so was yeah, there was an inkling at that like when did you figure out there was a thing you, you wanted to make your life because there are people who discover right. that it's something they love and they do it like on the side or they do it you know right. it becomes sort of like a hobby or something like that when did it become a thing that you were going to make like a major part of your life um I think really 
probably early, early on, and I don't know when it would have been. Um, I think what I struggled with more is if I was going to be allowed to, or if I was going to be, I was going to, how was I going to convince everybody else around me who needed to make these decisions alongside me that I could like do that in university or I could do that in my life. And and how was I going to negotiate all of those details? That was more my focus than whether or not it was going to be what I was going to do. Was that something that, that ended up being difficult? Um... It was a little bit of a struggle. I think it was not as much of a struggle as, as some people that I hear about. Mm. I um, I told my mom that I had to go to theater school because I needed the highest marks possible, and that was what I wanted to do and was as profi- like the most proficient at <clears throat> because I I was going to go to law school, okay. which was like full <clears throat> bullshit. Like absolutely <laughs> not what I was going to do. But, that was how it ended up, like kind of falling into place where I was like, "This will be the story that I'll figure did this out." Believe that, did she believe the story? I don't know. Do you think that she believed that you wanted to be a lawyer? I think she might have. Okay. I think she might have been like, "Okay, I, I, I don't think a hundred percent." Well, probably, you know what? I mean, she'd known me long enough at that point, probably not. But uh, I know that there it was a. I, I went to the University of Windsor, and I, I remember getting into that school, and my mom's pre- preference was that I took either a year off or went back to school, and I think she didn't want me to go. Mm. But uh, I I do remember getting in a a pretty big fight about it, <laughs> and it kind of being this dramatic thing where... I was like, sign the paper now! And like, <laughs> while she was like... Well, while the, while the strike while the iron was hot, I don't mm. know. <laughs> like, this is my moment to be able to get you to agree. <laughs> so there was a bit of a struggle mm. with that. And uh, I think afterwards, I, I, like, my, my dad has stopped saying this, but for a good few years after I graduated and I was in Toronto and I was <laughs> trying to do things, and he would say to me every once in a while, like, mm, you know, are you like, when do you think you're going to, like, Come home. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. um, they've stopped that. I think that's... Maybe Have they figured out that this, this is it's taken? Maybe. You know, this, like, I think maybe. And at no point where they... like Apart from really what I've just described, they've been mm-hmm. very supportive. So And are there at everything and have been. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a grandmother who was always like telling me I should go back to school. Oh, yeah. And she was always like, you should go back and study computers. Oh, okay. she didn't really know much about computers, but she yeah. thought I should go back and study them. I think that was the thing. I I think of it in terms of a uh, a lifestyle that like everyone, almost everyone seems to buy into. If you're like, even people mm-hmm. who are in the arts, you buy into this lifestyle of like you need to get the job to make the money to live, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to shake that. It's hard for me to shake that sometimes where it's like, that doesn't have to be the Mm. way that you organize and coordinate yourselves. But I think that would be terrifying if you didn't see the merit in doing anything any other way, or you had your, if you had, as a parent yourself organized your life like that and and really committed to that being the path you take to have somebody say, I'm going to do the complete opposite. It's yeah. like, what? You, you're going to die. Like, yeah. literally, that's the 
that's the fear that I think drives people into that lifestyle as it is. So, um, well, I mean, that lifestyle that, that is the you know work you know do this job until you're 65, mm-hmm. then you can do what you want. Sure, is is like kind of a a miserable thing that a lot of our parents bought, like mm-hmm. are doing and mm-hmm. have done for a long time. Um, did you? Did your parents have misconceptions about what was going to happen in the theater world? They they obviously weren't happy. They probably thought you were going to be destitute or something. Or I had yes. people who would always say, "How the hell are you going to make a living at that?" Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I what just comes to my mind when you're talking about it is. Um, I shined shoes for about three years and a friend of mine was doing it first and she got me a job also doing it and it was uh, in the underground path and I remember telling my mom that that's what I was going to do as a Mm -hmm. side gig and and she got so upset. (laughs) She was just like, I, oh God, please don't know. I had like hit the rock bottom and I was gonna you know, oh wow it's like I don't know mm. it was it was like I had said I was gonna whore myself <laughs> like, like, I, I mean and the reality was I made great money at it and it was like mm-hmm. such a good gig and it was so flexible and it was like it yeah. allowed me to do to move forward and to mm-hmm. keep going yeah and so they it, they also settled down about that after a while but I don't know. I don't remember mm. her ever having that any reaction like that about the arts, but just that one just thing. <laughs> that, but I don't know if that was a, an accumulation of all the feelings she already had about it. Uh. Was there something that drew you to Windsor? Did you apply to more than one school? Yeah. There... Um, oh, it's interesting you say that because I know there was a an article in Intermission Magazine recently about a one of the schools and their and the experiences there mm-hmm. and the drama and the um, but also the treatment yeah. and the attitude and the way that things seemed and I had auditioned for a few different places and I just got this like kind of icky feeling about stuff mm. and had I not auditioned at Windsor I probably would have just resigned myself to be like that's the way that it is mm. and not everything at Windsor was perfect and there was some messed up stuff there too but I do remember the audition process being like the like the clouds parted and it was mm. like oh this is an yeah. actual encouraging right. kind chilled out place and I, I, I remember thinking at the time like is it because it's Windsor and they're like it's they're have they're hard up for having people come there or something. Like I was try, I was very wary of like why they mm. were so nice, but I I think it was a it suited me better. Mm. I'm not I'm I'm definitely I I wasn't and I wouldn't be someone who would do well with mm. being aggressively dealt with no. and I that was something that I real I recognized very quickly at the audition yeah. process. That I mean that that article is one that that, that I was reading because um, I know that I know what school that is, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I know that I know who that teacher is, and um, I'm upset about about that sort of thing. And I think more of us should be because the idea that that could be acceptable in an educational setting, mm-hmm. with the excuse that oh, we have to break you down to yeah. build you up, except mm-hmm. that the building up is first off the break you down is like bullshit, mm-hmm. and the build you up doesn't happen. 
Yes, so, I know you're right. You know, it's yeah, a good um, point. When the build you up doesn't happen, that then the whole point of it is like is is yeah. bullshit. It's a power trip. Yeah. Um, Even so you, then, you're not. I mean, I don't think you could responsibly, whoever you are, if you're if you if you your psychology was your main focus in life could you responsibly break someone down no. I, like how can you we've like, gone we've we've gone from the education of actors being break their bad habits down right which is break you which instead. is like which is like <laughs> what it should be is like we're going to break down you know show you your bad habits and break you of them or whatever mm-hmm. and like get rid of those and it's become like we're going to break you down <laughs> It's like something lost in translation there. <laughs> I think it's a completely messed up thing that is far too prevalent in the education of actors. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I, I knew... I didn't know the person who wrote the mm-hmm. article, but I did know about um, similar stories. Mm-hmm. And I, even then, still just read that entire thing with my jaw on the floor. Yeah, Just like, no. I, oh my God. I didn't know either because I've I've heard stories about about where that school has fallen to under mm-hmm. that that teachers that head of acting's uh, 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 leadership leadership air quotes um, and it saddens me that it's mm-hmm. there that that's where it's gone and everything I hear is worse all the time <clears throat> because what ends up happening is you've got these people who are so like. I, un- I, I understand that the teacher is probably telling themselves, oh, I need, you know, we only need the strongest actors to come out of the program, the ones who really want it, so they're continuing right. with it. That, yeah. And they're justifying this horrible treatment in making people not love the business. Well, I think there's a, anywhere where you've got a treatment like that, even, like, I don't think they, he, I don't think anyone would be a teacher or a professor in any case if they didn't in some way or even just in always think mm-hmm. that they are are helping and doing the best thing and right. I I'm <laughs> I'm stressed about it because yeah. it's it's uh it's frustrating to know that there are people who are have a love for storytelling have a love for acting have a love for the community story relationship and being a part of that who lose sight of that based on a, tr- a treatment yeah. that they've received in one place. I'm, but I mean, you can under, I, I totally understand how the, the treatment at that place can totally color everything. Mm-hmm. When you come out and that's been your, your experience of what theater is, um, to, to not want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you made a, a good choice in, in school, one that was more, that was uh, uh, warmer and uh, yeah. more welcoming. Mm-hmm. I mean, no theater school is entirely warm and welcoming mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. In, in certain mm-hmm. ways, but they all, you know, that have their advantages. You were, you were, you enjoyed your time there for the most part. For the most part, yeah. I mean, there were, um, if, if there was like a, Q and A of like what could we have done differently? I would yeah. I would say like I I was very shy mm. and I was I think um, I wasn't the only one who was shy and I think it's not just at that school but I think a lot of people don't know how to deal with shyness in another person and mm. they're frust I could see the frustration sometimes with professors and I I heard a lot 
things like just stop being shy. <laughs> it's oh, like, that's helpful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh my I goodness. wish you had told me that before. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. um, I, I got through it and figured it out on my own. And I, I was lucky enough to be in an environment that was encouraging enough that I and open enough and available enough that I could do that. Mm-hmm. I had space to do that. Um, but yeah, that would, that would be my, my major Obviously complaint. not like being not shy doesn't happen overnight, mm-hmm. but you did find a place where and a way to come out of your shyness. Mm-hmm. Was that the people or was that something that changed in you? Was that, um, I, I had a, a couple of experiences in my personal life around university. Um, that it was it was definitely like a fa- an actual it, I had been working up to it for a long time but it was a very fast switch for me to just be like you know what fuck it <laughs> like, that was just really yeah it was a there was there were like residual things for me to figure out afterward but it was mm-hmm. a very hard switch for me mm-hmm. um where I just stopped caring yeah so and and caring about I still cared what people thought and what uh, what you know what I was doing and how it was going to be figured out, but I had I stopped letting that stop me, and I mm. think that was the. the I think that's switch. that is the important thing because mm-hmm. I know you know you, there's a lot of of shy people who that's the like getting past that is the trick, and like you you care too much to let yourself go past it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um. When did brick and mortar become a thing for you? Like when did like running a space or spaces become a thing for you? So about four years ago, um, I was living with my cousin at uh, at at the space that is now the box. Okay. So it was her apartment first. Her roommate moved out. I moved in. She was moving out. I had someone who was supposed to move in, and last minute they failed. And I was, this was, um, a, I had a spot in the Fringe Festival, and I had decided I was going to write a musical, and I was going to produce it, and I had never done any of those things before in my life. So, this was all around the same time. I was like, no, you have no roommate, just kidding. You have to cover the rent yourself for two rooms. So, I realized I had no money to pay for rehearsal space, so I decided I, we were going to rehearse it in my apartment. So, mm. I moved the living room, dining room into what was my cousin's bedroom and used the open space that was there for rehearsing a 14 person musical or something ridiculous like that. (laughs) So, um, that kept going on and I did have some people who like stayed for a couple of weeks at a time, uh, in between stuff. Then I was directing a show and they rehearsed it there. And then I had some friends who needed rehearsal space. And so that was happening and then um, I don't know what exactly the lead up was to this, but it used to be apparently a storage space underneath there. And at some point they turned it into like an after hours thing. Mm. It, was, it was like briefly something illegal down there and I was still living there. So I had to leave. Um, <laughs> so uh, I made a deal with the landlord that I could stay and try it out as commercial space only mm-hmm. and s- just kind of make a go of it. Mm. And then it was actually, it was my, my dad who suggested that I try that out wow. and he was like, you know, just 
see how it goes. Um, so I ended up knocking down a wall. I didn't, my dad did. Um, <laughs> although I have knocked down my fair share of walls now since then. But um, I, we knocked down a wall, put up curtains, um, added lights and chairs and a whole bunch of fun stuff and just uh, started going and uh, ended up getting a website going and then it went from there. Was there a, mm-hmm. a, like a big learning curve for that, like getting that going? What was that like, like figuring all that out? <laughs> um, yeah, it was a giant learning curve. I, I remember looking back after like I'd do, been doing it for a year and thinking I had no idea how much I had no idea about. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was the biggest thing. I was like, wow. I, uh, yeah, just so many different things, so many different factors. I couldn't even probably list them off all at this point. Um, it, it helped me to learn a lot about business and then relationships with people and customer service stuff. And it was very insane. And I'm, I think a lot more sympathetic to any business owner now. Mm. And at the beginning it wasn't a business. It was like a necessity. Yeah. And it was like, and then I had a website and then I think, I can't remember who it was. I had, I ended up with some booking that was like, Oh my God, they're booking with me. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh my God. So I was like, I better get my act together. <laughs> like, I can't even remember who it was, but I, I remember like, I should open like a business bank account so I could, you know, accept their, accept their e-transfer with my business name and not my personal name. And then I was like, oh, I guess, well, I got checks as well. While I'm at it. And, then, um, and so it was a very, uh, weird I didn't intend for it to be a business. Um, was it intentionally a performance space, or did you mean it to be a rehearsal space? Or, or? Um, when I had actually gone full out to say, okay, it's going to be commercial mm-hmm. space, then I, I wanted it to be performance space. And I, I mean, at that time, I don't really know what else would have been doing. I feel like maybe the storefront was. I can't remember if they were starting right at that time, but I, mm-hmm. I think um oh you know what it was it was hub 14 that was the only other place i had seen where it was a small place Mm non-traditional where they just like put up chairs and lights and they're like let's go and i was Was, like was rick sandcastle running at that time or i'm not sure Mm. it might have been i didn't if it was i didn't i don't know i wasn't sure about them um but uh so i did that for you know the years that i have and uh then last year um actually two years ago, like a year and a half ago, I guess now I, um, needed space and then ended up renting the attic, which is where we are now, which is where we are now, um, from Casey Mm -hmm. and she'd been, I got an email that was like, we've only been open for like two days. How did you find us? And I was like, I'm I'm extra good. I (laughs) I know the ways. So, um, I rented the space from her and I was like, I, at that time I was kind of toying with the idea of opening a second space as well and, and trying to figure out exactly how that was going to work and I was like damn I wish I'd found this space <laughs> first <laughs> so um, I ended up really on a fluke about a week after that getting connected with Casey totally mm-hmm. unrelated to the space and then chatting with her and I I was trying to adopt a dog from the animal rescue that she happened to run and then 
she's like, oh, you play Elsa. Like, I do princess parties. Oh, and yeah, yeah. She yeah. does princess parties. And it was just like, wow. just this weird, like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> How can you? No. Um, we get mistaken for each other, which is very weird because I don't think we look <laughs> like it's, uh, so it's very bizarre. Um, and yeah, we started on this journey of just kind of figuring out how are we going to work together. And then, you know, I was still kind of looking for a second space. And I was like, you know what? You know what would be really cool? It's three spaces. <laughs> so we, uh, we started talking about partnering and then opening another space. And um, we opened another, like this like little known fact, we opened another space that we like had for four days before the landlord was like, get out. Whoa. <laughs> You're, yeah. So we... Um, did all of the whole like got that space ready to go up and ready up and running had people booked in for about two months and they were like nope doesn't work so luckily we actually were able to stay for the two months Mm. that we had at least bookings but uh yeah they were they weren't prepared for what we actually do we were like we're you know we're loud there might be music there's stuff shit they're like no problem that happens here already. It's cool. And it was not. No. And it's interesting because landlords and theater spaces are kind of why uh, Storefront is now homeless. Yep. And I think Unit 102 mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. for the same reason. Yep. Um, and, but that wasn't an issue with your first space. With the, uh, with the, the box. box. Yeah. No. Um... I mean, the thing with the landlord situation... So after we did... So that place was called The Station, which mm-hmm. like was like buried very fast because it just never... It didn't, it didn't take. <laughs> and then um, uh, we opened The Commons on mm. Richmond, and that was another landlord issue where we had to leave, and that was a whole mm. other long story. Different... It wasn't that we were... Our activities were unacceptable. That it was a very confusing... An entire family owned the oh. building, and they had disputes. It seemed as oh. to what the building should be used for. So we were put in there, and You're allowed in the to. Yeah, uh, we were allowed to use the space and rented the space and signed a lease. And then it was like, just kidding. And then oh. this, it was so that was very frustrating. Yeah. But in terms of like the the landlord situation, um, I think what a lot of people don't think about, and what I didn't think about, I remember contacting when I first graduated. I remember contacting factory theater or something like i want to put up a play what's your price and then sending it to me and i remember being like how dare you (laughs) don't you know i am an artist (laughs) like and i think there's with uh, because i thought that and i get the sense that other people think that who sometimes approach us about space is that you you think that there's no cost associated with running the space you don't consider it Mm. um and so what worked out for the box, what works out for here, works out for any space that we've so far, at least at some point had, um, has been that it is super, super low cost so Mm -hmm. that we can then pass on the low cost space. And so that's what we search for. What I was going to mention is with a low cost space, there's either, there's like one of two things, either the landlord is, absent and really doesn't care mm-hmm. like and like i'm hesitating to say shady but you know <laughs> um or there 
inexperienced mm-hmm. or just stupid. Mm. And so neither scenario is great. No. <laughs> it's no. not always a good one to be in. So, um, yeah, that's sort of with the box. It was, it wasn't a, a stupidity thing. I think it was just the, the building is very old mm-hmm. and it's become a lot of different things. Right. And, grown like a I don't know like a weird wild jungle and I think when the building was purchased it was already that Mm. and so I think they've done a very good job in terms of managing all of the aspects of that so there's a lot that goes on in there that probably couldn't happen anywhere Mm. else um what we do in there included um it's very it's a delicate balance. It's like this delicate ecosystem where yeah. like everything has to balance and work out and the superintendent kind of keeps a, a whole yeah. um, lid on all of that somehow. Yeah. I have been in that situation with the factory theater, other theaters oh, you know, yeah. before, <laughs> before there were more independent spaces, yeah. your options for doing theater were, yeah. well, you could do, uh, you could do something at one of the university theaters, but you'd right. never get media there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> which I learned the hard way twice oh. um, that the media won't come because they just figure it's a university show and so you oh. can't get them out um, or you pay you go to Factory, Passamari or or Tarragon and you ask them how much the space is and mm-hmm. you figure well there's our entire budget or mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. um, it's I mean the ecosystem of, of theaters and independent spaces in, in Toronto is sort of in flux and changing. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is one of the most important things that people don't know about running a space or, or like getting a space in and for an indie theater? Um, I think it kind of just back a little bit to the idea of what space costs mm. because I... When I started the box and when I was like, okay, this is what I'm kind of doing. It's going to kind of look like this and I'm going to have, you know, people are going to be able to pay to use the space mm-hmm. and it's going to be super cheap and keep it as low as then cheap as possible. Um, I had two separate people say to me, well, it's not really fair though. You're taking money from artists. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? And I, I actually carried that with me for a while and I was like, I feel like oh, maybe I'm not doing something really fair I, I mean, and looking back in reality, like because it wasn't, I wasn't calling it a business. And I wasn't exactly looking at it like that right. when I, I, for a long time when I first started. I don't like. I worked like three part-time jobs, and probably like any like, extra money that I had went mm. into the space. Like it wasn't that the space was going to continue or not depend on who was in there. It was right. just I was going to just make it happen. Yeah. So. It's, you know, to say, oh, you're taking money from artists. It's like, well, I, 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 yeah, and then I'm paying for the space. It's not like it goes in my pocket. No, and I think course, that's yeah. a, lot, a big, I think I, I get the sense it's a misconception based on some, some of the responses, some of the conversations that I get or some of the emails that I get mm-hmm. from people where it's like, if it's, I don't think people understand the difference between spending $50 an hour spending 17 like yeah. I, and I it's intention 
from who is running it. I yeah. think that's really one of the biggest things. Yeah, I think I think people, you know, sometimes it's like I have to spend money to do this thing. Mm-hmm. You know? um, is is there something that you you sort of like aside from just the fact that it costs money? Mm-hmm. Is there something you wish people knew about um, theater space and especially independent theater space? Um. I think there, it's, I want to get like, it's like something to do with garbage. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I think there, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of spaces that obviously close and not mm. just the ones that closed recently, like the storefront in unit one or two, which I mean, landlord issues, mm. whatnot. There are also spaces that, Usually the shelf life is about a year for mm-hmm. them and they're they're up and then they're gone and what I've made a point of seeking out people who've done this mm-hmm. and to and where they're at and what happened and uh, and not and not always on purpose because I'm sometimes looking for space for other things or to put people in other places because we're full mm-hmm. and there's an overwhelming like exhaustion that I hear from people and it's just like I just it wasn't worth it and Mm. I so so get that Mm. and even if your space did close because of landlord issues to pick up again and do it is and has been exhausting for Mm. for us as well and it's kind of about the garbage it like actual physical garbage (laughs) like it's as simple as it seems like just it's about a lot of things, but it, 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 this is a good example of it. It's it, to uh, operate low cost space means operating minimally, which mm-hmm. means spreading yourself or spreading myself very, very thin, which mm-hmm. means I can't make it in all the time. And so something like the garbage would get right piled up. So the garbage piles up. Nobody would to ever take it out you know that would be insane of course, I guess. of course which but people look at it as like i paid for the space i'm not taking out the garbage right. they look at it as a yes a one-time commodity versus how they can maintain it continuously and i feel like somehow this gets back to the idea of like art itself is a commodity mm-hmm. or art space is a commodity yeah. because it is something for the community and it is a not-for-profit endeavor when Mm. it is well it is for us and it's it's sometimes there's that like you know to come in and have like 10 a stack of 10 pizza boxes Mm -hmm. and it's like i literally (laughs) like i was up till five in the morning (laughs) doing you know something for the space and i you know like my 90 hour work week to make this happen where i you know mm-hmm. get paid nothing and and there's your six pe- pe- 10 pizza boxes that i've got to now break down and yeah. take out it's like ugh. so i it's i think there's it, uh, people take for granted how much it it how much energy and yeah. heart and mm. um soul goes into keeping it going yeah well, i mean you were saying about how some of the places that close mm-hmm. they close because it's just not worth it mm-hmm. what keeps it being worth it 
for you. <laughs> You've been doing this oh, for a number of I years, know. so like, what I is don't it that know because I I like the punishment. I don't. <laughs> um, I, I I very recently I think more so when partnering with Casey and forming Brick and Mortar and actually looking at okay what is it that we're doing and why are we doing it and why is it important and and. Uh, there is an element of, I, I know, I mentioned to you that, that, like, it's the highest mountain I could climb, so therefore I'm going to prove that I could do it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I have a history of just doing things because of that, but uh, I think there is an importance to storytelling mm-hmm. and I don't think it means that theater has to be the best one or the only one. Or I think it's about creating as many opportunities as possible to share stories and mm-hmm. to share the human experience and to share the human heart that connects everybody that has a greater good kind of a, a thing in mind. And I hmm. think it's... That is where I... Um, that's kind of where I set my sights and not every day is that is that in the is like is that in my mind it probably it can't be no Um, and there are days that I like I'm like I don't know if I can keep doing this Mm. Um, absolutely Um, I've told this story to people and I don't know why they like it but um, there was a day where I was at the box and I was cleaning and there was a hot dog in the couch like an actual (laughs) shriveled no bun full hot dog it's like as I held this hot dog in my hand I was like why (laughs) what Uh, what is my life (laughs) Mm. Um, so sometimes it feels like just picking up people's garbage Mm. and then what keeps me going is the knowledge that this is something important and I think that art hasn't for a long time been treated as something important and so artists have started to believe that it's not important and audiences have started to believe it's not important and we kind of go in this roundabout like well it's not really important well yeah you're right well yeah you're right and then it's like spiral of downward spiral of non of a lack of respect for theater and that form of storytelling which makes it very difficult for then Mm -hmm. an artist or a storyteller to actually do it so I think creating opportunities for it to start out small again is yeah. where I'm seeing the most importance. I think that's hugely important. I think that, um, you know, I mean, we've spent a long time in, 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 in Toronto and I think in a lot of places with your options, well here anyway, being your option is like one of the mortgage stages mm-hmm. or one of the three other stages which are super expensive mm-hmm. and there's a certain you know well the cost and also there's certainly you, if you're getting one of those spaces you kind of feel like you have to fill it with stuff mm-hmm. whereas in a, a more indie space you can do more with less mm-hmm. and you can I love the challenge of working with very little mm-hmm. like me I th- too <laughs> I think about I think about the movie not uh, not Desperado, but the one that came before uh, Rodriguez's first film, where he was like, oh. "I have like no money, I have a guitar case, and I have a school bus, 
and this town, what can I do with that? And like, these are my limitations and I have no money, what can I do? And I love like that sort of like the art that can come out of imposing or working with limitations. And I mm-hmm. think that a small and independent space can really uh, help to feed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you've obviously, you know, it's working for you. Uh, I mean, garbage and mm-hmm. pizza boxes and, and, and hot dogs aside. Um, yeah. It's like your, your spaces are people... I mean, people want the space. They need the space. Um, do you find... like? Do you find it difficult to keep people knowing about your spaces? Or do you find... Are people finding you easily no you know you know what like that is one of the coolest things is like it's a total um wayne's world (laughs) like if you build it they will come thing like really and uh i know that kate it was casey's experience too with uh, i mean she hadn't been open very long before we ended up partnering but she was like I thought it was going to take me months mm. and I was going to be like you know but it's people are people need it and yeah. that's what's cool and important and awesome is that yeah. people are like oh that's amazing cool I'm glad that's here because I needed it and that's yeah. nice um, yeah yeah it's I mean, this is a this is a, a great. I didn't know what to uh, expect when you said meet me at the attic, oh. and I this is this is a great looking space. I think, and because it's unusually like I think this is an unusual shaped space. Yeah. Um, and I think there's like there, there's a lot that you could do with something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have you found that people have been doing really interesting things with the spaces when they come in? Like, have they oh, been transforming yeah, them? Yeah, absolutely. I love, like, uh, when you when I get to come in and see, like, that the, the space is a whole other world, mm. it's so, so cool. Um, a lot of film crews that come in that make this make spaces our spaces into, like, a whole, really a whole other world. Um, theater spaces that want to do things in the round, or mm. theater companies, I mean, that want to do things in the round, or backward, or not how we would normally set it up, and, like, they see different options and different mm. opportunities. It's neat. Um, yeah, there's uh, a lot of really... a lot of really neat stuff that's happened mm. in here, and very eclectic. Yeah. Has running a space taken over your life in a way that you don't find the time to do other artistic things so much or yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> emphatic yes. answer there um well the show the show that i just did is uh that closed on sunday was um unexpectedly challenging with being half of brick and mortar and leaving um Casey sort of with both halves <laughs> so um which I I thought you know okay three hours of rehearsal a night that's not that big of a deal but the amount of like phone calls that were happening in the middle of a rehearsal were like oh my gosh I can't deal with that I yeah. mean, like and it was crazy how much of a kind of an eye-opener it was just this time through specifically mm. I guess with the third space this is the first time with a third space that I've done a show um, or any other like artistic endeavor that's taking me away from this, uh, from running the spaces. Um, yeah, it's a bit of an eye opener on how, how tied to things or how, um, 
how much I've made myself 24-7 available almost. Mm. Um, so I, I hope that my intention is to, is to make some changes just to help that mm-hmm. um, balance. Yeah. And um, I don't think it would mean any less any less like availability or service to the spaces or the artists or anything like that, but it definitely does need mm. a bit of attention for me. It needs to be some balance to the whole, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Um, had you, before you just did that, you know, you, you, you acted in a show that was basically put up in a week. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, had you been, had it been all, all theater space all the time, or were there other things that you were doing? Um, we do... Uh, so every year we do the One More Night Festival. Mm-hmm. And then um, just previous to that, in, so in January, we produced um, something called the um, 150 Stories Project. Um, and so we did part one of the 150 Stories Project in January, February. So that was what sort of butted up against this show for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have produced things in fringe festivals mm-hmm. and uh, and then put it up in my own festivals mm-hmm. that are yeah. happening. And so yeah. I kind of use the festivals that I'm doing as outlet, like double duty to let me do my own stuff yeah. It's as also well. great. I mean, being involved in a festival is a great feeder for stuff if you see something that could work in a yep. space. Yeah, there's um, there uh, the one night festival has been a great way for me to connect with um, different artists and different producers, and uh, it just, so the premise of it is you, you can put your show up one more night, so it's right. something that has to have been produced somewhere else at some point, but mm-hmm. there's really no other restriction on it. So so it doesn't have um, to be like a fringe festival; no, it can be anything. Could, be, could have been anything, and right. so there are people who've done things. Um, that they did at school or like it was a project at some point that they're like, Oh, I haven't revisited that. I'd yeah. really like to just put it up, see what happens or, uh, shows that were out of town mm-hmm. that didn't get chance to right. do it for people who know them or yes. even as simple as that is. Like yeah, it's yeah. really lovely to be able to put something in front of the people who want to see it. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah sometimes it just shows that we're like hey we had this run you, you want to do it again you get one mm. night at it it's, yeah. it's a simple show um, and I find that the, like the the challenge of that brings out really cool we're gonna do it anyway attitudes yeah. so I it's a really nice collection of people that just find find mm. us themselves that's <laughs> so, great do you yeah. The one more night festival. Do you like you? Are there people coming to you for that? Do you are you seeking them out? You're advertising for it. I put or? out a, put out yeah. a call for yeah, yeah. it and just say this is what's happening. Cool. Who wants to do it? And, cool. uh, yeah. Now the 150. Uh, uh, what was that? The 150 one, stories 150 project. 150 stories project. So you did half of that. Not even half. It was like part one. Okay. I think there was going to be three parts of it. Okay. It's like yeah. And do you know when the next part is going to be? It's scheduled currently for May. Okay. And it may uh, may um, have a bit of a schedule change, but uh, that's what's going on now. That project is was um, really cool to um, is to try. Can you tell um, me a little bit about what that project is? Yes. So um, 
when our second new space was closing <laughs> and uh, in like a span of four months, um, we were really exhausted and we were actually trying to keep that space somehow. And so it involved trying to find grants for mm. renovation to try and like in- convince the landlords to let us stay. Right. It was uh, kind of a shot in the dark, but we were looking at different renovation grants and uh, we were doing some... I've never written a grant in my life. Casey, Casey has, so she's the expert on it. But I was, I were, I was researching some things. I'm like, I don't know, maybe this information will help. And we came across some statistics for artists, and I can't remember the exact wording of it or even where it came from. But it was something like three percent of performing artists make a living in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Like as a performing artist. Yeah. That's that's what it meant, and it was a bit of a sobering um piece of information but also really the piece of information that like took us out of the rut of having our space closed because what no (laughs) no that's ridiculous how is that a thing and a lot of the support realize that a lot of the support that exists for artists and for actors um is about helping them get into that three percentile Mm. and like here's how you get that job here's how you get that here's how you make your career but what they mean is that this is how you make that career that is three percent of people able to maintain or have happen Mm -hmm. where where is the support for expanding that number like why is it still three percent so um we weren't sure if we were gonna like start a school or what we were going to do about it. I was like, Oh God. So this was, uh, what was born out of that was 150 stories project, which we were, um, we took, um, creative entrepreneurs, what we're calling them people who had a drive to create and have it be their own. And Mm -hmm. they weren't going to wait. That was sort of the criteria that we were looking for. And it didn't, and we contacted people that we had experienced in things like the one more night festival or different, uh, fringe or different places we'd been or who had done shows in the space. And we approached them and said, look, you, would you be willing to do this project? And what it entails is you, um, pick a community in Toronto and it doesn't have to be bordered by physical communities. It could be, uh, anything at all. Um, it could be the one of them was the acquired brain injury community mm. um, and you put together a group of 10 artists that will each interview one person from the for example the acquired brain injury community and then you come together put put on a piece based on those stories mm. and then you put that up once at the box once at the attic mm. and um, have that experience and the idea behind it and what actually did end up coming out of it was uh, sort of a reset, the hope, and, and was also to have a bit of a reset button on, okay, we're going to try and create something mm. that is super meaningful for one community and just yeah. be really specific about it. And when you have a small space with, space with 50 seats, mm-hmm you can afford to be that specific. Yeah. And I think we, while we've had these kinds of spaces in Toronto for a while, I think we've still been thinking in terms of, or creating in terms of, like creating as if we have 
a thousand seats. Right. <laughs> like we're like yeah. 300 seats to fill every night and just hoping 50 people come yeah. versus actually looking at, Hey, we have this really intimate space. We have this really cool ability to be very niche mm-hmm. with what we create. So, um, we ended up having five groups um, do their shows this time um, with amazing results and such cool experiences and people just really floored and excited about nice. what was happening. And, nice. and then also each of the artists that created things, not all of them had ever produced anything before or who had done anything. And so it's like, okay, well... Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two more. Well, it's always fascinating Don't when you wait. learn that you can do it, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, I can do it. Mm-hmm. A lot of us spent, I don't know, when I was in theater school, it was about, um, nobody talked about producing your own work, except yeah. if it was like, oh, you you know, maybe you should leave school and do, I don't know, Fringe or something like, do, oh. it was like, <laughs> and this was, was almost, like yeah. this was like early 90s, so mm-hmm. it was like, Fringe was barely a thing. And nobody talked about self-producing, and mm-hmm. that was like self-producing. You failed, and now you it's failed. like, yeah. and yeah. now it's mm-hmm. like that's part of your yeah. career. But to find out that you can do it mm-hmm. is like, oh, I, I can successfully do this thing. Mm-hmm. It's not magic. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it feels like maybe, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I know. Yeah. I think that's the, and that is has also become more focused. Is the message of brick and mortar mm. is that like you can do this, and there's no like it's not about it. It's when people talk about making it, yeah. it's about like you make it, like yeah. you can actually make it, and yeah. that's a change that. And when I, I mean, I graduated two thousand and nine, yeah. and that was it was still like, well, I mean, I guess you could start self-producing. <laughs> Which sucks. What's funny about that is that I think even in 2009, it was like, like, it wasn't unheard of for that to be part of the theater, your theater trajectory. Like, but I think the theater schools are like still sometimes in that world of, well, our job is to prepare you to go to the audition, get the job, go to the next audition, get the job. That's the career you're going to have. I've spoken to, I've been doing this for, over a year, 66 podcasts, <laughs> I've spoken to two people yeah. and that's their career. Everybody mm-hmm. else that I've spoken to is somebody who's like making stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the new well, paradigm. That's the, you know what? That was such a huge thing for me. I, I was lucky that I, I very soon after I graduated, ended up with a fringe slot. And for whatever reason, I decided this is the climb the mountain thing I was like I'm gonna just do the biggest thing and um but it did give me that confidence to say oh it's not magic oh I can actually do it um and so that snowballed me in in that direction so I didn't really have to sit in that world of needing to audition all the time and it works for people and it works for some people it's fine but it's it's I'm lucky to have figured it out early that I didn't have to do that because I don't think it would have mm-hmm. sat well with me yeah. long term. Yeah. Even the, the small amount that I did, it was just so draining for me that I, I don't know that I would have been able to continue. I know that I wouldn't have been able to continue because, you know, going to auditions and not getting the job is so, can be so mono, like demoralizing. Mm-hmm. Whereas creating your own thing and like having people respond to it is so yeah. energizing. 
Can I ask you, you, I mean, early on you were talking about that fringe slot that you somehow got. Yes. And you decided that you were going to create a musical. Uh-huh. Did you actually create that musical? I did, you, What yeah. was that musical? <laughs> I, I have to know. I have to know. Okay, well, it's called The Princess of Porn, the musical. Okay. I feel like I remember that. I feel like it's pretty musical. memorable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that is, that is. Um, and you'd never written a musical, no, so no. did you like find somebody who could write music and be like, "Please write this thing for me"? Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> I had, uh, I had um, partnered with a composer who was like friend of a friend, and I was like, "Cool, you can do this, and that'll be great." And we had these production meetings, and um, at the start, I actually had a writing partner, and then he ended up not continuing with it. And so, we went into our first rehearsals, like we auditioned people, cast them, went into our first rehearsals, and we did not have one page <gasps> of music. Okay, <laughs> there was no music written. So I was at a bar singing karaoke with some friends, and there was like a, another. Fr- it was like a friend of a friend who was also there with us, and. He was talking about how he was a composer, and I was like, hey, you want to compose a musical for Fringe? And he's like, cool, do you want to listen to any of my stuff? I was like, nope. <laughs> so I locked out. I mean, it was mm. um, a spoof. It was spoofing Disney stories, right. and he happened to be like the top Alan Menken fan ever, so all oh, well, of the stuff perfect. that he had was like just perfect. It fit really, really well, and... Uh, so, yeah, that was, like, written as the process went. I don't know how, like, we were probably the day before and new pages were going out. And it was like, okay, we'll just try and yeah. do this. Um, and you know what? It Like, in terms of what the content was and, and how it was put together and the production process, it was a pretty big mess. Mm. Um, but it that's where I, if I was going to continue on, that was the first step because it was, you know, make, I made a lot of mistakes there, but I wouldn't make them again. So. Well, you only ever make mistakes. Like, that's how you learn. Like, mm-hmm. You have to make those mistakes. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for, for talking with me. It's been, been great. Thank you.